Good morning. Boy, you all look so handsome and pretty this morning. You have something very special to talk about this morning. I'd like to ask, first of all, that's it, good. What are some things that remind us of Easter? Emma, 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 you sit next to her, please. That's good. There you go. Okay. Eggs. Okay. Jesus died on the cross. Anybody can answer. Anybody. What else reminds us of Easter? Candy. Candy, candy. All right. Bunnies. Okay. Very good. Jesus rose from the dead. Okay. Now, I know some of you have done this because we did it this past week. How many of you been on an Easter egg hunt? Yeah. We had fun, huh, this past Thursday at Awana? Now, I have here for you tonight, or this morning, but I'm going to ask you a question. You know, we talk a lot about eggs at Easter, don't we? Why do you think we talk about eggs at Easter? Why do we talk about eggs? Because we like to eat them? They have candy, okay. Now, I know Erica and I have something in common. I learned this this past week. Erica and I both really like deviled eggs. You know those eggs you cut in half and you mix them with mayonnaise and some people put mustard in them too, but you know those eggs, deviled eggs, man, they're good. And Erica and I have that in common. But you know, have any of you ever seen a mother hen sit on eggs for a few weeks? And then what happens after a few weeks, after the mother hen has sat on the eggs? They hatch. And what comes out of the egg? Little baby chicks. Very good. Well, that's to show us that life comes out of that. Now, I have here for you this morning what I am calling a real Easter egg. This is a real Easter egg. Watch this. Oh! There wasn't anything in it. You don't know how many eggs I ruined doing this. (laughs) But you know what? You see this egg? This egg doesn't have any yolk in it. It doesn't have any white in it. It's empty. And this is a real Easter egg because it reminds us, no, it doesn't have candy, doesn't have anything like that in it. But it reminds us that just like this egg is empty, the tomb that Jesus was placed in after he died is empty. And why was the tomb where Jesus was placed? Why was it empty when his friends went back to see it? Why was the tomb empty? Why was the grave empty? Because Jesus had risen from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, he is alive and 
He enables us to have life. And so, I know you like Easter because of the chocolate bunnies and all that kind of stuff, but the important thing about Easter is to remember that Jesus rose, and because he did, we have life. We have eternal life because our sins can be forgiven. Okay, now listen up. There's no children's church for you little guys, but for you older guys, there's children's church. Okay? You are dismissed. What did I say? Well, for the little guys, there's children's church, and for the bigger guys, there is not. Okay, sorry. They probably knew what I meant, but I didn't. I'd actually never done that before. It was the first time I ever did that. And uh, it would have been kind of uh, humorous for you to see me trying to poke a hole because I was trying to do it without breaking it. And so, first of all, I had a, a pin straight pin, but the hole wasn't big enough. And so uh, then I got a paper clip, opened it up and tried that, and that wouldn't go through. So I got a little screwdriver and just started cranking it. And it worked, you know. Once I poked through that little skin there, then the screwdriver worked, and then I blew it out. But I wasn't thinking I should have had a cup under it. I was over the sink, and I I lost a perfectly good egg, but um, it it was worth illustrating that to the kids. All right, I invite you to open your Bibles with me, please, to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, and we're going to consider from here just a few verses in connection with forgiveness and the resurrection of Christ. This past Friday evening, we looked at forgiveness and the cross of Christ and how Jesus' death on the cross was absolutely necessary, absolutely essential for us to be able to be forgiven. And the resurrection is no different. For us to be forgiven, Jesus Christ had to rise again from the dead. And so we're going to consider together this morning, and you have an insert in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along, forgiveness and the resurrection of Christ from Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he, that is Jesus, said, I say to you, Peter, 
the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. And we begin with this question. Is there a true believer in Jesus Christ who has never thought about what he or she might do if confronted with the choice of denying him or being killed? Occasionally we read about uh, modest believers, fellow Christians just like us, who encounter such a situation. They face such a situation. They face as to whether or not they will stand for Christ or deny him. And over the past several years, uh, headlines have featured several examples. And we know all too well about Cassie Bernal and Rachel Scott, students at Columbine High School in Colorado. And we have heard how fellow students went up to these two girls and asked them, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian? And they said yes, and right there and then they were gunned down. And a short time before the Columbine incident, a gunman attacked a student prayer meeting in Paducah, Kentucky. It was a school in which several students had met for a prayer meeting, and they were gunned down for their faith in Christ. Several years ago, the Wedgwood Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas, was sponsoring a Wednesday evening prayer meeting. And there were several hundred students there meeting, praying together, when a gunman entered the church. And he began to spray bullets around the auditorium. And several were killed. But then a young man by the name of Jeremiah Neitz, who himself had recently been Uh, converted to Christianity, had decided to follow Jesus Christ, had been a gang member, had been involved in violence. He stood up and faced the gunman and confronted him with his need to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. Well, the gunman was apparently taken back by that, just looked at this young man and then put the gun up to his own head and committed suicide. But there are people throughout the years, and really in a more recent history, who have had to take a stand for Jesus Christ, and they have done it. Now, most of us, when we think about these type of situations that we could possibly experience, we would like to think that we would be strong. We would like to think that we would stand firmly for our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, that we would have the courage to die for him. But the sad truth of the matter, and I identify with this, so please don't think I'm just preaching this, the sad truth of the matter is that in much less than threatening situations, we know from experience that we have not been bold, and we have not been courageous for our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you guys go to a barber for your haircut, Uh, but back 
when we lived back in New York State, we had a, you know, just a local guy. In fact, his barber shop was in his uh, basement of his home. And when I went in for a haircut, you know, almost always there would be other men there and conversations would be going on and so on and so forth. And there were times, more than once, that I could have said something for Christ, but I didn't have the boldness to do it. I didn't have the courage to do it. And I remember one particular time where I was going for a haircut, and, and I said, Lord, too many times I've been a chicken. Too many times I've been a coward. Help me to be bold for you. And you know, that particular day, there was not one other man there except the barber. But that's how God had it designed. And that day, I shared the gospel with him. And long story short, he invited me to come back and to meet with him and his wife. And we sat in their living room, and they received Christ. And then became very faithful attenders at at Seneca One. But you know, so many times... I have lacked the boldness and the courage in less than threatening situations to speak for Christ. And how important it is for us to learn from our own experiences and learn from the experiences of those that we will see this morning. But you know, the disciples were no different. They became fearless witnesses And ultimately, all of them died for their faith or were persecuted or were tortured or were exiled because of it. But they were not always so bold. There were times that they lacked courage. They lacked boldness. They failed to stand up for their Savior and Lord. And particularly on the night of Jesus' betrayal, Every one of them left. Every one of them forsook the Lord Jesus and fled for their lives. Not one of the disciples, this is in your notes, fully realized how unprepared they were to face opposition. As they approached the place where Christ knew he would be taken captive, he began to warn disciples that they would all stumble and deny him that very night. Peter brashly protested that he would never deny Christ. He told Jesus, Lord, with you I am ready to both go to prison and to death. And it is in this context that the Lord Jesus says the words recorded in Luke 22, 31, 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Luke's words record three specific requests on the part of Jesus for Simon Peter. Requests that are as appropriate today for us as they were for Simon Peter then. Jesus' first request is for faith to persevere. Faith to persevere. Simon Peter fell victim to Satan on the night of Jesus' arrest. He learned the hard way that he was humanly weak and that he could not trust 
his own resolve. All his boasting promises and all his, his earnest resolutions did not keep him from falling. After declaring in front of everyone that he would never deny the Lord Jesus Christ, he denied him anyway. He denied him, and along with that, he had passionate curses. Satan was sifting him as wheat. As your notes read, Simon Peter learned by means of very bitter, distressing, humiliating, and painful experiences just how much chaff and just how little substance there was in him. He was a broken man, but one whose faith never failed. Simon Peter failed, but his faith never failed because of his Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think about faith and what real faith and true faith and genuine faith is, it's very important for us to understand what true faith is. Some things in life call for us to be absolutely accurate. Just recently was the day we all look forward to, the day of filing our taxes. And you know, we just can't do that any old way. It has to be done according to the guidelines that are established. If we just file our taxes however we wish, whatever we think sounds best, we're liable to get ourselves into a very difficult situation. Well, that's important when it comes to filing taxes. But there's something else that's extremely, extremely important. For, ex- for instance, did you know that according to the Barna Research Group, 42% of Americans think Jesus committed sins? Now, we can expect that from the general population, but listen to this. 25% of professing Christians say Jesus was not sinless. How can that be? How can people claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ? How can a person claim to be a Christian and say Jesus committed sin? And yet, 25% of Christians throughout the United States of America would say that very thing. Well, it's pretty important that we really know what the Bible says about faith and that we believe it. 61% of Americans think that there are other ways to salvation besides faith in Christ. Well, when it comes to taxes, it's important to do it right. When it comes to what genuine and true faith is, it's important, very important, that we get it right. These are serious deviations from the truth, from what the Bible clearly teaches. Jesus lived a perfect life, and his sacrificial death for us is the only way for our relationship to God to be restored and sustained. We can't afford to make up our own rules. Only those who call on the name of the Lord, the Bible tells us, shall be saved. That's true faith. Now, Peter, even though he really messed up, Peter had true faith. 
Doesn't that encourage you today? It encourages me to know that even though Peter really messed up, he was characterized by true faith. I mess up. I'm assuming you do from time to time. We all mess up. We all fail the Lord from time to time. And yet, as Peter, we are characterized by true faith and genuine faith. And Jesus here prays for Peter to persevere in his faith, that his faith would persevere. And that very same prayer that Jesus prayed for Peter is applicable to you and to me today. That even though we fail, that we would have the faith to persevere. Jesus' first request is this, faith to persevere. His second request is for humility to repent. Humility to repent. In the verses that follow here in Luke chapter 22, we read the fulfillment of Jesus' words to his follower and his friend. He says, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Following Simon Peter's third denial, Luke writes these words, beginning in verse 60. While he was still speaking, a cock crowed, and he went out and wept bitterly. As your notes read, Simon Peter had failed. At this very moment, Jesus made eye contact with him. This, no doubt, magnified his already unbearable sense of shame. The true Peter is not seen in his denial, but in his repentance. It, I think that probably describes so many of us. Our true self, what we really are, is not seen when we fail the Lord, but when we repent of our sin. That's the real us coming through. And that's the real Peter coming through here. And what a beautiful passage of Scripture we read. After the ladies had gone to the tomb, an angel spoke to them and said this, Go tell his disciples and Peter, He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Can you imagine when the, the ladies went to Galilee and they hunted up the disciples and they went specifically to Peter and said, Peter, Jesus wants you to know he is coming. And he is looking forward to seeing you. Wow. How precious would that have been? If we had been Peter, and we knew we had messed up, and yet we get that word, hey, Jesus is coming. He wants you to know he's coming here. And Peter, he wants you to know he's looking forward to seeing you. Wow. What a word. And you know, that, that word is still there. Maybe you're discouraged this morning. Maybe, maybe you have failed the Lord in some way or another. And maybe you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm, I'm Peter, man. I'm there. Well, Jesus has a word for you. And he says, I'm here. 
and I want you to know I'm here. I love you, and you're mine. And so we see this humility in Peter. And it was there in Galilee that Jesus appeared to a genuinely sorrowful and sincerely repentant Peter. I remember one day uh, back in Romulus when we were working on remodeling our home, there were places where different animals could enter the house. Uh, We had a resident woodchuck in the crawl space. And uh, one day uh, when we were working upstairs, I heard this noise coming out of one of the rooms that we had been working on remodeling. And it was like a banging against the window. So I went in and there was a bird. A bird had gotten in one of the many holes that were available to it. And And the bird was kind of backing up and boom, crashing into the window and crashing into the window, trying to get out. And, you know, birds in your house can can raise different emotions. One thing, you want to get rid of them. And another, you just don't know what that thing's going to do. And we've had bats in the house. Believe me, they're worse. Um, And one night, we were asleep. This was during the remodeling thing. And we're asleep. And I, I woke up, I felt something, you know. And so I'm just lying there, and I feel it again. And it's going right above my head, you know. Of course, going right above my head would mean it's about two feet above me because my nose, you know. But, uh, but I'm laying, and I feel this thing go over my head. And I said, oh, there's a bat in our room. I had never seen hope move so fast in all her life. I mean, in one fell swoop, she was on the ground, or floor, inverted crawl, through the door, and the door was shut. I'm praying for you, Len. Well, long story short, we got rid of the bat, but that wasn't the only incident uh, of a bat, but they, you know, having a bird or something in your room or in your house, you, you want to get it out. Well, you know, we heard that bird, and it was chirping, and it was crashing against a window. So we got the window open as far as we could, and we got the bird out of the house. This bird was, in its own way, crying for help, and because it was, we heard it and were able to help it. You know, as God's children, we can get ourselves into some difficult situations. And may we may find ourselves, as it were, banging against the window. We're in a bad situation. We know we need to get out of it, but we need help. Think of some of the unusual places where we find people in the Word of God. We find Jonah in a fish's belly, running from God. Wow, you talk about an unusual place, right? We find David in enemy territory, and he's acting like an insane person. We find Abram in Egypt, lying, white lie, if there is such a thing, telling a half a lie about his wife. 
We find Lot in Sodom living with very wicked people. We find Elijah in the desert wallowing in his own self-pity. And where do we find Peter? We find Peter in a courtyard denying his Lord. As God's children, too often we find ourselves in circumstances that we really need the Lord to come and rescue us from there. And he's always willing to do it. And so a good question for us to ask ourselves today is this. Are, are we in a place where we really shouldn't be? Are we in a circumstance that we really should not be in? Are we finding ourselves defeated and trapped and unhappy because we know that where we are and what we're doing and what we're involved in is not right. Well, there's wonderful news for us. And the wonderful news is this. Just as Jesus went to Simon Peter, who had really messed up, Jesus is there to come to us. And when we, in our analogy chirp out to him and let him know, Lord, I'm in a bad situation here. I really need you to intervene for me. He will do it. He will do it. And there is no place that is beyond the reach of God's grace. No place. And then we find the Lord Jesus praying for Peter, not only for faith to persevere and for humility to repent, but also for power to serve. John records how Peter and several of the other disciples following Jesus' death returned to fishing. They went back to doing what they were familiar with, to doing what they knew they had done before. And we find Jesus coming to the Sea of Galilee, and he meets with the disciples, and he meets privately and spoke privately with Peter and forgave him for his unfaithfulness. And no longer do we see a brash, arrogant, boastful, proud, double-minded, undependable, impetuous, impulsive person we find, rather, a forgiven and a restored follower of Jesus Christ. Peter had learned a great lesson. He was beginning to trust Christ's sufficiency rather than his own. His failure had, had really punctured his pride, and now, rather than trusting in himself, which he had learned is not going to make it. He begins to trust in the all-sufficiency of his Savior in Lord Jesus Christ. Following his encounter with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee fewer than 40 days later at Pentecost, Peter, who had denied Jesus Christ vehemently in the courtyard, was now speaking boldly and courageously to thousands of people. And you know, some of those people were the very same ones 
who had crucified Jesus Christ. The very same people who had killed Jesus, Peter is now standing before them and boldly and courageously proclaiming salvation in his name. Now, how did that happen? It happened because he was forgiven and restored. And because the risen Christ had empowered him to serve. And together with the coming of the Holy Spirit of God, who now was living inside his people, and not just coming and going and coming and going as he did in the Old Testament, but now living inside his people, Peter and the other disciples have a boldness and a courage that they never had before. In fact, all of these disciples, not just Peter, all of them were markedly different men. And we find them saying to government authorities and those who had the power to put them to death, we find them declaring, we will obey God rather than men. Boy, what a difference, right? What a difference. These were the very same ones who had forsaken Jesus and fled in his hour of betrayal but they were now filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And rather than being characterized by a reckless self-assurance, their confidence and faith and trust and empowerment was based on the risen Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. And they stood up for him in the face of every imaginable threat and persecution. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the message, these people either died or were persecuted or tortured or exiled for their faith in Christ. Here is the greatest proof, as it reads in your notes, of the blessed truth of forgiveness and the resurrection of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. He graciously restored and empowered these men to serve Him, even in the wake of the most catastrophic kind of spiritual collapse. His all-sufficient grace and mercy manifested in His unconditional forgiveness redeemed them from the worst failure. Jesus Christ Himself drew them back, forgave them, commissioned them for service, and empowered them to succeed where once they had failed so miserably. When we lived in Barcelona, Spain, there was a lot of traffic in Barcelona. When we went to Barcelona as missionaries in 1976, Barcelona was at that time the second most densely populated city in the world, next to Calcutta, India. It was a concrete jungle. And there were actually 10,000 more cars than parking spaces in the city. It was crazy. It was wild. And so... When we walked with our girls, we had to be very careful even walking on the sidewalk because cars parked on the sidewalk. You parked wherever you could. And so as we were getting ready to cross busy streets, we would say to our girls, hold on tight. And we would walk across the road. Now, do you think it was really their grip that kept them safe? It was mom and dad's grip. 
I remember one time Hope told me after it happened, uh, she was with uh, two of the girls, I think, walking down the sidewalk. And they were walking, and just because they were on the sidewalk, they weren't holding hands at that point. But all of a sudden, Hope felt two tiny grips, one on the right and one on the left. I mean, just squeezing her hand as hard as they could. The girl saw a dog coming. And so they grabbed onto mom for security. Now, as much as those girls would hold on, crossing the street or wherever it were, the important thing was not their grip on mom or dad. It was mom and dad's grip on them. And there is a biblical analogy to this. Our salvation is not dependent upon our holding on to Jesus. He holds on to us. Isn't that neat? Because there are times in our life where we may release our grip a little bit, like Peter did. But the Lord holds on, and he holds on tight. And one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, in fact, it is a a set of verses that really transformed my life, are found in John 10. And here they are. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone, here it is, snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus said that in John 10. 28 and 29. You know, we're in a double vice grip here. On one side, we have the hand, as it were, Jesus' words, of God the Father holding on to us. And Jesus says right here, in this very same context, he says, and I have a hold of you too. (laughs) That's pretty neat, isn't it? We have... God the Father holding us on one one hand and Jesus Christ the Son holding us on the other. And that very same power of God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ that saves us is the very same power that sustains us and keeps us saved. And it is the very same power that empowers us for service. And Peter found that out. Peter had genuine faith. And even though he failed miserably, he saw how God was, through Jesus Christ his Son, was able to sustain him and enable him to persevere. And not only enable him to persevere, but empower him to serve. And the same is true of each and every one of us. Because Jesus Christ is alive and because he lives, we can experience his forgiveness, his restoration, and his power. And I don't know where all of you are today in your, in your walk, 
whether you've begun to walk with Jesus Christ or whether you have not, or whether you have begun to walk with Jesus Christ and yet you find yourself in an unusual place, a place where you really shouldn't be. We can identify with Peter. We can identify with the disciples. And I want to just ask us to, before the Lord, just bow before him as this next song is played that speaks of our allegiance to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ.
Father, we recognize that all too many times we are, as Simon Peter was in the earlier days of his life, but we thank you that our risen Christ prays for us, for faith to persevere, for repentance, and for power to serve. And we thank you for how our Savior and Lord prayed for Peter, for evidences throughout the New Testament that he prays for us. And we just pray that, Lord, we would every day be moving more and more away from how Peter was at the beginning to how he was in his later years. Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning who has not even begun a journey with, with Jesus Christ. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each one's life and bring them to genuine faith and saving faith in Christ. And for those of us who know you by your grace, we pray that we would not allow ourselves to be found in unusual places, but that we would cry out to you and see you not only sustain us, but empower us to walk with you and to serve you. And we thank you. May we pledge our allegiance to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Any praises?